Thanks for joining us on our C3 Edinburgh podcast. We really hope this message inspires and encourages you in your life with Jesus. To find out more about our welcoming and vibrant church community, please check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Keep in touch and be part of the story. Now enough from me, you've come to hear the podcast and be blessed. 2020 is going to be a powerful year. It's going to be a powerful decade. It's going to be a powerful decade in Jesus' name over your world, over your life, over all that God's got in store for you and over this church as a community of faith. It's going to be powerful. Um, the new way I'm preaching these days is just sitting down relaxed. <laughs> what do you reckon? Is that all right? I want to tell you some things before I even preach. It's going to be, um, the first thing is this. Um, we've got a thing that we've liked to do since we first started our journey uh, as an as a, as a establishing church. Even when there was, you know, six of us here or seven of us here, we said, um, you know, what would be really good. Let's start our year with sort of a, a dreams, praying over dreams, praying over what God's got on our heart. So um, we're going to do that next week. So what, I'm, what I want to let you know is this week, I know a lot of you have been um, reflecting and journaling. Um, all of the Facebook posts of the last couple of, you know, last week or two have been like that 10 years ago and the now photo and, uh, you know, people are talking about those kinds of things and that's wonderful. But I reckon, well, here's, here's my heart. Um, we, I, I don't have time and you don't either to go forward in our own steps and in our own strength. I only have time and you only have time to, to, to dedicate it before the Lord. To, to, I only have time in my life to do what God wants me to do in, in, in Jesus' name. So I don't want to waste my time with goals that are just mine. I don't want to waste my time with, with dreams that I'm carrying myself. I want to dedicate all that I do before the Lord. So that's what next week is going to be. So can I ask you in advance? And I know that a, a majority of our church family today are still coming back from their holidays and things like that. So we're going to have to spread the word during the week through Connect and through social media. But we want everybody next week ready. Um, and here's what you should do. Journal something. Or if you don't journal, um, get a pen and a paper this week. Get your phone out this week. Go for a walk this week. And um, just write out the things that you are in your head and in your heart that you see for this year maybe even for this decade, whatever is, it jumps around in your heart that lights you up, that might fill you with otherwise trepidation at the bigness of it, trust me, God thinks bigger thoughts than you. He, he's okay with that. He's probably calling you up rather than keeping you down. So, so write these things down. Next week, work out a way to shorten every other part of the service so that we can maximize um, having people come up the front and have, um, I mean, Lisa and I's great honor would be to pray with you. Pray with, the, pray with you, dedicate those dreams before the Lord. Sound good? It's one of, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year that we just quietly comes and we just do. Others include uh, when we baptize people. That's just incredible too. But uh, So here's the other thing. The other thing is um, we're going to start, it feels, it felt, we need to pray and we need to fast. Uh, who's, who's, who's got a strong fasting game? <laughs> no, I mean, kind of, but n nobody puts a hand up ever for that because everyone goes, "Oh, it's so tough and it's miserable and all the things." But it's 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 a powerful, it's a powerful spiritual discipline of saying, "You know what? 
I don't live on bread alone. I don't live on the stuff around. I don't live on the day-to-day. I can put things down for a period of time to push in to prayer and push in, deny myself my creature comforts that I might push into what truly sustains me. Um, I've not made any great decisions in my life, any big ones, without little periods of fasting and praying. And often I'm the annoying pastor. People come to me and they'll say, what should I do about this situation? And I'll say, I don't know, have you prayed and fasted? And they'll go, no, I won't go and do that. And they'll go, no, no, I just want you to tell me the right thing. And I'm like, no, I don't know. Uh, but God does. If you would pray and you would fast. So as a church, as we start a new year and start a new decade, it seems right for us as a church to pause some things, just some creature comforts that we might seek God together for your own worlds, for your own dreams. And it seemed right to do sort of a, a, a sort of a dream dedicating service that would then launch into a period of fasting and praying. So I'm now looking for, um, we're looking for some spaces that we might gather for prayer meetings. Um, I want to see uh, so many people coming to these prayer meetings. We're going to have them a little bit more regularly than the once in a while that we usually do because it's for prayer and fasting. I want to encourage you to come, uh, encourage you to pray, and I'm going to speak more about that next week about fasting and what that might mean. Um, I'm proposing that, um, you know, I'm doing a prolonged fast, a sort of two and a half weeks of fasting. Hazel, um, just to honour her, although that's awkward, do you, is it okay if I... Well, now I've said something. It's weird. She's she's fasting at the moment. Um, so, you know, it's incredible that you're doing that. You're a young woman of God who just is putting God first. But together we're going to do that. I'm personally going to do a, more like a Daniel fast. Have you heard of that? It's sort of, I'm not going to fast because two and a half weeks with a busy lifestyle, with a full-time job, with all of the things, I'm not sure if I could do well in my work whilst not eating at all. Though my usual fast is to abstain from all food and just drink water or juice or something. Um, this time I'm going to go for a prolonged period until from the 13th of January to the 31st of January, and I'm inviting people to join me in that. And I'm personally going to do a, a Daniel fast, which you get from the book of Daniel, essentially. Essentially. But it's uh, essentially I'm, I'm going to cut out all of the creature comforts of my diet and um, just eat fruits and vegetables and things like that just to... Um, what did Ailey say? I mentioned it to Ailey. She said, man, it's tougher than paleo. I'm like, yeah. So, but it's, and, and it's tougher than vegetarian. It's not just becoming vegetarian for two weeks. Like, please. But it's like that. Anyway, think about it. I'd, I want to call you out to join me in it for your own world and for where we're going as a church. There we go. If you've never done it before, spend this week looking into it in Scripture. You want to be based everything not on rules and regulations but on life and from the truth of the Word of God. Read into it and see what God is saying to you. <clears throat> All right, are you ready? Here we go. First message uh, of our decade together and um, I guess it starts with this sentence. It starts with this. Do you know one of the things I love about Jesus you say, what? I say, I love how he's so amazingly unreasonable. He's amazingly unreasonable. Check these, check these out. I've got a couple of stories for you. And then I want to talk about what that means for you and I. 
In Matthew 16 and in John 6, in, in, in a couple of the Gospels, it shares the story of um, this particular time when Jesus holds a massive service um, outside of the city, outside of Edinburgh, up in the middle of the Pentlands, behind the Pentlands. He's, he's, he's far away and everyone's on foot and they've all walked with their hikers. They've all walked kind of several hours to get there. Nobody brought their lunch. Nobody brought everything, anything. And they're all on the other side of the Pentlands and he has this massive service. There's about 10,000 people maybe there because I know there's 5,000 men but it doesn't include women and the children there and the kids' church happening and it's all pumping. And he's, and he's, and he's preaching and, you know, they probably say we're going to you know, finish at midday, but he goes over because he's Jesus and it's an incredible, it's the truth of God. And, and, and uh, after a while, the disciples would sort of came up to him and said, hey, um, just, just in case, before you start the next message, I just want to let you know that uh, it's actually getting really late. The sun's going down and the people are hungry and if you don't send them home soon, um, they're going to... I mean, they're going to faint on the way. Like, we've got to feed them. Like, you, you better send them now. They've got to get back to Edinburgh. Jesus said, you know what I mean when I say this. It wasn't really Edinburgh. Uh, he, Jesus said, w- w- you feed them. Like, the disciples say uh, in oh, well, John 6, 5 to 7, Jesus saw the huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he said, he said uh, where, can we, where, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. But that's so unreasonable of Jesus. Philip replies, uh, and you can add the exclamation mark to it um, because it's right there. He said, look, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough to feed all these people. This is unreasonable. Jesus, what you're asking us to do is unreasonable. Jesus it's amazingly unreasonable. Another time, another time, and this is Jesus dealing with relationships, right? Um, some people, some, some of the religious types are trying to trick him and trap him in words and trap him in nuance. And they come up to him and they sort of say, so tell us, Jesus, because you think you're so smart. He says, they say, uh, what's the deal with divorcing and divorce? What's the deal with that? Um, and and Jesus, said, um, Jesus said, well, look, uh, divorce isn't the plan. Divorce wasn't the design. The, the design was a man and a woman, uh, they leave and they become one flesh together in marriage and, 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 he, and, he, and he talks in Genesis, he t- brings out of Genesis and he talks about God's plan. And then the, the religious types, they reckon they've got him with this because if they know the law back to front, the Mosaic law, and they say, aha, but Moses allowed divorce, so do, are you against Moses then, are you? Jesus replied, look, Moses, and this is Matthew 19, 8 and 10. He says, look, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But that's not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries, someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And Jesus, here's what I love, this final part. It's a bit of relational sort of marriage stuff. Jesus, not the religious types. Jesus' disciples pull him aside after that and they say, Jesus, if your teaching is the case, we, it's better that we never marry. Which, by the way, just dwell on that for a second. All he said was, don't get divorced. But for the disciples, they're like, whoa. You mean I can't? Anyway, that's the disciples. What they're saying is, Jesus, your standards of what the real world is like compared to what your expectations of your people are, your expectations are unreasonable. Do you even know real life? Do you even know how grey it is? Do you even know how tricky life is? What you're asking us to do is unreasonable. Jesus on wealth. This guy comes up to him. He's a rich young ruler. He's a rich young guy. He's, he's, um, 
He's a rich young ruler. He's a, one of these um, Silicon Valley types. Like, um, who started TikTok? Anyone? Anyone doing TikTok? Okay, wrong. I've missed you. Uh, if Samara was here, she'd be like me. But, but um, you know, so, so a guy comes up and he says, look, what do I need to do? teacher to inherit eternal life. I have a lack on the inside of me and, and I need to know what eternal life, I need to have something come alive on the inside of me. And Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? And he says, well, the Ten Commandments and, and these things like that and, and live un, unto those. And, and Jesus says, well, go and do that. And the, the, the rich young guy says, well, I already do all of that. I'm, I actually, I'm not living flippantly. I'm living on purpose. I do all of these things, but I'm still empty on the inside. I'm paraphrasing this. Jesus said, Jesus loved him uh, and he said, look, there's one thing you lack. You've got to give away everything you own, sell up everything, give it all to the poor and come to me with nothing and follow me. And the rich young ruler, he left away devastated and downcast because he had heaps of money. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this in Matthew 19, 23 to 25. He said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And again, and by the way, here's what I'm doing. I'm picking out the exclamation marks of the disciples. If, you ca- if, you, if you're playing along at home, it's, it's Philip saying, we can't feed these people. It's uh, the disciples saying, why would we ever get married then? And here's another one. They said... Um, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus, your expectations of what we do in our life is unreasonable. Oh, here's another one. I'm just keeping going because I'm just I'm painting a picture of the unreasonableness of Jesus. But this time, right, Peter had a plan. Now Peter's been walking with Jesus for a while. So Peter had a plan. He knows that whatever he asks Jesus, Jesus gives this unreasonably high response. So, so there's this one time where he's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he gathers, Jesus, I'm going to ask Jesus a question. Jesus, I want to know how many times I should forgive someone. Like, I'm thinking seven times. Like, not once, because um, John, he only does it once or twice, and then he carries the grudge. And, and, and Philip over there, he does it like four or five, but I'm telling you, seven times I'll forgive. Um, by the way, he's, there's, there's a number thing there in, in the tradition of, of, of his culture, which seven means a, a fullness, a, a, whole, a full number. So he's, he means, you know, he means I'll keep forgiving, I'll keep forgiving a whole bunch of times until it feels like it's enough. And that's funny, isn't it? Because how many times should you forgive someone? Especially when it's the same thing they keep doing. They keep saying, sorry, and you're like, no, I think, oh, you did it yesterday. You do it every day. Like, that's, I'm not projecting my marriage. Like, that's just, no, I'm not. But um, Jesus says this. Um, where am I? I'm in Matthew 18, 21 and 22, for you taking notes. Peter said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who, who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And so I can imagine now Peter saying, oh man, like even when I stretch my imagination and I stretch my expectations to a Jesus size that I think is going to be equivalent, I'm expecting Jesus to say, nailed it, Peter, you got it. He said, no, you're wrong, let's multiply that. Uh, can you please forgive until infinity? 
Even when I stretch my imagination to meet you, Lord, your expectations of me loving others is unreasonable. Do you mean every single time for infinity, you asking me to forgive them? That's unreasonable. Church, I'm here to say to challenge someone's understanding of Jesus because you've thought of him when you close your eyes as the beautiful, um, meek-eyed um, Jesus with the white robes, with the lamb over his shoulder who wouldn't, who wouldn't offend anybody, who wouldn't put anything on anybody. Yet when you met Jesus, when you meet Jesus, what you find at the other end of his very truly open-handed mercy is a belief and a, and a responsibility that he puts on you to live and behave in a way. And they're unreasonable. He, he, he looks at you the way you don't look at you. And when he looks at you, he sees someone who can achieve impossible assignments, like the feeding of the 5,000. He looks at you and he puts on you uh, uh, an expectation that he genuinely believes you can live to, where you can live up to the impossibly high relational standards with other people. That, that you can navigate the matters of your life with a sense of power and authority and integrity and character. That you can, have, you can live with an, on such an enormous capacity to forgive other people, even when they've wronged you, no matter how they've wronged you, that you become like Teflon against bitterness. You become like Teflon. You become truly unoffendable because you are so, um, you know, it's so, so proficient at forgiveness. You know one thing I love about Jesus? I love how he's so unreasonable. They're the benchmarks. These are the benchmarks in, in the Bible, which I've predominantly taken from Jesus' teaching in Matthew, that he puts down for, for the people who follow him. And can I tell you, in the rabbinic tradition of its time, rabbinic being rabbis and rabbis being teachers of uh, religious law in Judaism and of which everybody called Jesus a rabbi of its time, in that day and age, the dis disciples of a rabbi would be expected to uh, live up to those sort of expectations. But at that time, and I'm putting it to you, at no other time throughout history has any rabbi, has any teacher put such high expectations on his people as Jesus. But by the way, Jesus didn't set them arbitrarily. When you look at Jesus' life, he lived them accurately. He wasn't a hypocrite. He, he didn't say stuff that he couldn't live up to, he didn't live up to. Jesus achieved the impossible. Read the, read the Gospels. Jesus governed all of his relationships with a sweetness and a respect. For example, uh, look at the way Jesus treats, treats women in, in, a, in that, that kind of age, with dignity, with respect as sisters and fellow humans. And as I write that, as I pen that, I did have one potential exception, which um, someone who's read the Bible a couple of times might go, yeah, but Nathan. And it's that time that he speaks to the Gentile woman and calls her a dog. Yeah. But actually, he's making a point there and he moves in her life and he blesses and heals anyway. So... Jesus had access to money, he had access to wealth, he had access to political power. They tried to make him king by force. They said, come and be, but he, he wasn't persuaded or, or uh, he didn't become like the rich young ruler. He doesn't grab hold of the, the pervasive power of money that would lead him. He led it. And he forgave. Man, he forgives. When he says, forgive to infinity, our Jesus, he forgives to infinity. There is nothing that you've done, there's nowhere that you've been there's no guilt that you carry. There's no shame that you walk with that he won't forgive you if you go to him. Here's my point. 
The journey that you're on with Jesus Christ begins with freedom like you wouldn't believe and forgiveness like you can't even fathom. And it continues towards a destination of being like Christ on this world, in Christ, in this world. Actually, when I think about it, that's not entirely fair. That's not entirely my point. <laughs> my, my more specific point than that is the standards of Jesus that he sets to us seem unreasonable. And that's not a criticism. He never promised that they would be. He didn't say, come to me and follow me and everything will seem reasonable and simple. In fact, he often says it's the other way. Follow me, he says, and get ready because people are going to not like that about you. People are going to come against you. And if you want to follow me, you have to lay down your own stuff, take up your cross, your device of execution, and follow me. The journey of every single person who follows Jesus is to become like our rabbi, to become like him. And I see many people around the world who claim to speak for Jesus, to claim to follow Jesus, to claim all kinds of things about Jesus. But the thing is, talk is cheap. And plus, I'm not God, so I can't even tell what's going on in the inside of a life. So I have to watch to see people over time become more like him. That's my external evidence of an internal process happening. Because I do know this. If somebody claims to follow Jesus, but over time they're not becoming more and more like him, I'm not sure if they're actually following him. I'm not sure who they're following or what they're following. I'm not sure what they're doing. I'm not presuming. I'm just saying, I'm not sure they're following him if their life isn't slowly over time becoming more like him. If someone claims that they are filled with the Spirit, but they don't over time begin exhibiting more and more character traits that Jesus had, the fruit of the Spirit you can read about in the Bible, if that isn't starting to emerge over time, then I'm not sure they're filled with the Spirit. They're not, they're not, they're not moving with him. They're not keeping in step with him. And that's a bit biting when I say that. It's a bit hard to say, isn't it? So I'm going to flip that a little bit. You and I will find ourselves over time becoming more and more like Jesus. How? By doing life with him. By reading the word of God. It's the living word of God. The Bible itself says that Jesus is the word. So when you pick up the Bible, when you listen to the Bible, when you get that word of God into you, you're hanging out with Jesus. Get that into you. You'll find yourself changing over time. Dwelling in his presence like we did before. Following in his leader. Let him lead you. And you'll find yourself becoming more and more like him as you go. Having Jesus in the middle of your life, as you do that, you'll find yourself, without a shadow of a doubt, acting and responding more and more like him as you travel through it. That means you'll find yourself just by hanging out with Jesus more in these ways, being more able to forgive the unforgivable, being more able to see the value that God has placed in other people, being more authoritative in the spaces that truly matter. You'll find your more and more character traits of Jesus being expressed in your life all by themselves, without you forcing it, without you straining for it, without you trying to push it through, simply by spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've deliberately not used the word that this is all encompasses um, because it's a religious word, it's a Christianese word, and often we get all kinds of different ideas about what 
means. But the concept I'm, I'm unpacking is the, the process of discipleship. But I'm, I'm laying it to you now so that you can line them up. The process of following the master, following the author and perfecter of the faith, the, the process of following him and finding yourself becoming more like him starts to walk through this concept of discipleship. And when I was, when I was dwelling this week with paint-covered hands trying to do the house and all these kinds of things, I'm thinking, um, Lord, my God, what, what is it that we need to begin our journey on in 2020? What, what is it that I need to, we need to walk into? I, I thought, as a storyteller, as a communicator, I thought, you know where I want to start? I want to start with... Um, I want to start with something um, inspirational. I want, to, I want to preach on something about how incredible our decade is going to be, what God are you saying over our... Ch- I want to talk about um, lofty ideas that will inspire us into a new year. But he very clearly spoke to me. He was speaking to me about... Um, you know when he does this thing in the Word of God? I'm reading 1 Corinthians in my own world. And so I'm, re- I'm reading 1 Corinthians and, and, and I'm doing my own... And God puts something on my heart. He sort of puts this thing on me that when Paul says, somewhere in the Bible, apparently, somewhere in the Bible he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that was just dwelling in my head all week. I didn't read it. It was just dwelling in my head all week. And then I'm saying, God, he starts talking to me about, you need to start... You, the church needs to hear about and start to go into over this whole year... He's going to dis- a, a, a deeper consideration of discipleship and becoming more like Jesus as we go. And then that scripture's floating around in my head, and then in that scripture, he just jumped out. It's 1 Corinthians. He jumped out and said, oh, okay, it's all lining up, God. You're, you're moving through time and space. So really clearly tell me a message. Our church needs to think and dwell this year, this decade. If we're going to start somewhere, why, I'm not going to start lofty. We're going to start from the roots up. We're going to start... From, from the soil of discipleship. Let's talk as a church this month and, and, and pray into this year that every single person here by the end of this year, by the end of this decade, is more like Jesus as we go. We're more like Jesus as we go. We find ourselves exhibiting more character traits that Jesus has because he's, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He will do it. And, and I'm bringing it back now to the unreasonableness of Jesus. He, I don't want anybody to leave this space feeling like, what do I do with the unreasonableness of Jesus? Because I can't live there. You know what? Jesus says that, not tongue-in-cheek, but a little bit, because he, he comes with everything that he says with a grace and a mercy to help us, to empower us, to go to that space. Today, you might have trouble forgiving someone, but you go to the Lord and you say, my God, they did it again. I did it seven times. Like, okay, I'll, God, help me. And you'll find as you spend time in the Lord, He gives you the ability to forgive again. He, he, he teaches you how to let it go again. You're thinking right now, I can't ever, I can't live to the, that standard in society that, that, you know, manages my relationships to such a degree. He says, that's okay, I've, I've got a grace to meet you, I've got a mercy to meet you, and if you stay with me, I'm going to shift and teach you. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And he says that he's not going to stop doing what he started to do that moment you first said yes to Jesus. He's going to see it through in your life. There's no room for striving is my point. But sometimes I think it's also good to stop for a second and understand we have no laurels to rest on. 
When we talk about the un- unreasonableness of Jesus, sometimes if we don't think about what heaven's perspective of what good looks like, and we don't look at what heaven's expectation of the way you navigate your relationships, the way you walk your life, the way you pick up your bank card and what that emotionally means in your money world, if you don't hold closely to any of these things, you think, I do okay. I give to kinds of things and I do all right. But Jesus' expectations of you are much more unreasonably high than you would imagine but he empowers you to get there and he'll get you there over time. Just stay in him and with him. I see Struan's shadow behind there, but can you come and help me play? He was doing some interpretive dance. He, he does that to prepare. <laughs> Church family, above all else this year, let's decide this. Let's decide to commit ourselves and our church to following Jesus. How does that sound? To really following Jesus. Next level, more than we've ever done so before. Uh, Throwing away uh, any trust issues we have with God and going all in, more in. Jesus, take our lives. Jesus, be our Lord. Jesus, we hold nothing back from you. in our words and in our deeds, in our behaviours, in our, in our finances, in our relationships, at university, in our work, in our marriages, as parents, in every way, Jesus, we we leave the shallows and, into the, and, into, and we, we move ourselves into the deep where our feet can't touch the bottom of following you. We believe that you've given us the grace, Lord, because you said you have the all-sufficient grace enough to meet over time all that you have us to be as long as we abandon ourselves to you. You are the author of my faith, of our faith. You are my future and our future. You, You are more than committed to seeing this through in our lives. So we abandon ourselves to you. We take up our cross. That this first message of 2020, this first message of this new decade over this church and over every life is that we are the people who we take up our cross and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name. With every eye closed, would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let's just... um... If that prayer of dedication, if that prayer uh, is your prayer too, you know, something good, you could be following Jesus for years with all of your heart and it's still good to take stock and say, I'm putting this down again.